This morning we're going to look at John chapter 15. So if you have your Bibles, uh, go ahead and grab that. We're looking at God's vineyard. Uh, it's a very familiar passage of Scripture. You might know it as the vine and the branches. Uh, John 15. We're just going to look at the first 11 verses this morning. So as I said, it's quite a familiar passage to us. You will recognize it. I'm sure you know the Sunday school song, He is the Vine and We are the Branches. I'm not going to sing that for you, but uh, you probably know that. Uh, and this is what we're going to look at together this morning. You know, the problem sometimes when a passage of uh, Scripture is really familiar to us is that we can gloss over it uh, and sometimes miss some of the truths in it. So I want to just take some time to relook at this familiar passage this morning. Now, I know you've probably all got yourselves really comfortable, but I'd like to get you all to stand again out of reverence for God's word when we read this passage together. So let's stand together. John chapter 15 and verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. They gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. Let's just pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning, the truth of it. I pray that you'd give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you'd uh, help us to, to learn from what, what you are looking at this morning. Lord, help us to uh, just be open to your Spirit's leading this morning. We thank you for this picture that you are painting for us, and we pray that you'll bless our time together this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can take a seat. So the way we want to look at it this morning, we're going to break down the three characters that we've got in this picture that Jesus is painting. We're going to look at the vine dresser, we're going to look at the vine, and then we're going to look at ourselves, the branches. So let's start with the vine dresser. You know, he's the one that gets overlooked in the song. Uh, we don't go on to overlook him this morning. We want to look at three things about the vine dresser. We want to learn that the vine dresser purges, that the vine dresser prunes, and that the vine dresser is preeminent. That means he's the top. He's number one. I used a P there, a big word, because it fitted with the other two. So let's start with the vine dresser purges. Uh, it's important to note that there's actually two different jobs here that the vine dresser does. If we get those confused, we can get a bit confused with the passage. Uh, but the first one is that he purges. And we can see that in verse number two, it says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. In verse number six, it says, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. And these verses cause a problem for some people. They say, what's Jesus actually saying here? Is he saying that we can lose our salvation or that if we don't have fruit, we'll be cut from the vine? That, of course, doesn't line up with other things that Jesus has said. 
So we need to look at it a little bit more closely. And it's, uh, it's interesting to look at the context to help us understand that. And there's the immediate context, and then there's a wider context. So who is Jesus talking to? What's going on around him at this time? Well, John chapter 13, right through to John 17, Jesus is talking to his disciples. He's teaching them. He's training them. So how would they receive this passage? Well, they were all uh, appeared to be in the vine, didn't they? They went where Jesus went. They saw what Jesus did. Uh, they heard his preaching. They even did miracles in his name. So they all looked like they were in the vine, but they weren't all in the vine, were they? There was one who was not. Judas looked like all the other disciples, but he was not in the vine, and he would ultimately betray Jesus. In the wider context, Jesus was at battle with the religious order. They should have been showing people the way to the vine dresser. They looked and acted like they were of the vine as well. They wore the religious clothes, they did the religious ceremonies, but their hearts were not for God. And so it is that the vine dresser will purge Judas from the disciples. He will cut away what is dead within the religious leaders of Israel, those who appeared religious but were serving themselves. So the vine dresser purges what is dead from the vine. And so there's a warning in there for us this morning as well. Are we part of the vine or do we just look like we're part of the vine? Today it's probably even easier than it was back then to look like we're part of the vine. Anyone can call themselves a Christian nowadays. Musicians, movie stars, politicians all claim that title. And for us it's pretty easy. We just come to a church every now and then, maybe hang around with some Christians. Uh, maybe we call ourselves Christian because we grew up in a Christian home. It's really easy to look like the vine. We can fool the people around us, but we can't fool the vine dresser. He knows our hearts. He knows our position before him. So I urge you this morning, it's not enough to look like the vine. We must be in the vine. You're not attached to the vine by how religious you look, your background, the people you hang out with, or by your works. You are only attached to the vine by your faith. So the vine dresser will purge what is not of the vine. Secondly, we see the vine dresser prunes. Look at verse number two. It says, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Those that do bear fruit are those who are already in the vine. But like any good gardener, the vine dresser doesn't want just a little bit of fruit. He desires more and more fruit. And so he prunes away the things that hinder our fruit production. And he prunes us in a few different ways. The first and probably least painful way is through the Word of God. When we read and study God's Word, we realise the truth of what it says in Hebrews 4. For the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. As we read God's Word and study it, it cuts us to the heart sometimes. The Holy Spirit convicts us of all the things that need to be pruned from our lives. He prunes us through his word. He also prunes us through our circumstances. Today is actually quite a special day for me and Shay. It's actually our wedding anniversary. We've been married 23 years today. Uh, oh. I know that's probably more for Shay than it is for me, but thank you anyway. Uh, she's, uh, she's not here today. She's serving in a different kind of prison. Um, but... Uh, marriage is one of those situations, you know, that uh, God can use to prune us. When I was single, I thought I was a pretty nice guy. 
Uh, I thought I was a pretty good Christian man. But when God put this beautiful mirror in my life, um, 24 hours a day, it revealed some things in my heart. It revealed some things that were easy to hide as a, a single man, but much harder in a marriage relationship. So by God's grace, I made a little bit of progress, uh, and then kids came along. Another situation that can change your life. Um, and of course, you add a bit of sleep deprivation to the mix as well, and it reveals even more things in your life that needs pruning. And family isn't the only circumstance that God uses to prune us. He can use study, work pressures, finances, health, uh, relationships, friends, the losses that we have in life, even pandemics can reveal things in ourselves that need to be pruned. Sometimes we shock ourselves, don't we? We think, how can I say that? How can I react like that? How can I think that? Sometimes when we're squeezed, we don't like what comes out. The vine dresser shows us the things that need to be pruned from our lives so that we might bear more fruit. Another way he prunes us is through his discipline. If you're a father, you realise that it's your job, it's your responsibility to discipline your children. It's not a nice job, nobody really enjoys that job, but it's in the best interest of the child and also the people around the child that they are disciplined. And so it is uh, that we have a perfect father and he disciplines his children as well. Hebrews 12 talks about this, it's a great passage of scripture, I'll just read you two verses from it. Verse six says, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Verse 11 says, for the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. Isn't that true? But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. The vine dresser prunes those of us who are in the vine so that we might bear more fruit. Lastly, we'll notice about the vine dresser that he is preeminent. He is the boss, he is in charge. The vine dresser owns the vineyard and everything in it, and it all is under his hand and his control. The picture of the vineyard is not a new one. Uh, the disciples would have been familiar with this from the Old Testament. The idea of God's people, Israel, being a vineyard is referred to a number of times in the Old Testament. I just want to read a little bit from Isaiah chapter 5. And this is about the vine dresser talking about his vineyard. Isaiah 5, 1 to 7 uh, is the passage, and it says this, Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. That part sounds like it was written by a Kiwi. Uh, choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it and he looked for it to yield good grapes. The vine dresser did everything he could for the vineyard. It was a great spot, it had a wall around it, he did everything he could to make it thrive. But as verse two continues, it says, but it yielded wild grapes. The fruit produced by Israel was not good fruit, it was worthless. And so he continues, he says, and now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard, what more was there for me to do to my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? And now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall and it shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed and briars and thorns shall grow up. 
I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. The men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed, for righteousness, but behold, an outcry. You know, despite the very best conditions that God provided, that the vine dresser made, the original vineyard didn't flourish. The nation of Israel didn't provide the fruit that God was looking for. The problem was that sin is in man, and the disease of sin got into the vineyard, and so the vineyard didn't thrive. And so it is the vine dresser replaces that vineyard with a new vine. He takes the rootstock of David and he creates a new vine, a perfect vine, the vine of Christ. The vine could not fail because it could not be corrupted by the disease of sin. This new vine was perfect. So we want to have a look at and we want to turn our attention to the vine this morning. Jesus says there again in verse number one, I am the true vine. This is the last of seven statements that Jesus makes in the book of John. He starts with, I am the bread of life in John chapter six. He makes five more I am statements and then this is the last one in 15, I am the true vine. All of these I am statements reveal something about Jesus, about his character and about his nature. And they all of course point to the fact that he is the great I am, he is God in human flesh. He is the true vine. He is the true vine, but he's not the only vine in God's vineyard, is he? You know, in our country, in our corner of God's vineyard, the biggest vine is the vine of unbelief, the vine of self-interest. And the branches in this vine go wherever they want to. They compete with the ones around them. It's a messy, ugly vine that doesn't produce any fruit. You just need to turn on the news to see how well it's working for our country. There are still other vines in our corner of the vineyard, Vines of Mormonism, Islam, Jehovah's Witness, all of these claim to be from the rootstock of the first vineyard. But they add more people to a broken vine. They add Joseph Smith or Muhammad, the watchtower. Adding these things doesn't fix the broken vines. There's still other vines too, Hinduism, Buddhism, ancestral worship, myths and legends, and many more. Some vines are large, some are small but there's only one true vine, and that is the vine of Jesus Christ. Jesus says it best in another one of his I am statements. In John 14, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's only one way to the vine dresser, and that is through the true vine. So I want to notice a few things about the true vine this morning. He is the source of truth, he is the source of fruit, and he is the source of love. Jesus and only Jesus is the source of truth. The government will try and tell you they're the source of truth. Our culture will say you can make up whatever truth you want, uh, but Jesus is the only one who is truth. And it says there in our text in verse number three, you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. His word is truth. In all the important things of life, the only voice you need to listen to is the voice of Jesus. His words, his message, what we call the gospel, is the only true path to forgiveness, to wholeness as a human being. The true vine is the only way to be clean before a holy God, the only means of salvation, faith in him and in his finished work on the cross. But more than just salvation, his words tell us how to shape our lives and how to think about the world. 
So this poses another challenge to us. If Jesus' words are truth, how well do we know Jesus' words? Because if we don't know what he says, how can we know the truth? You know, you look around at Christianity today and it's becoming fairly illiterate, Jesus' words. All too often we replace what Jesus says by what man thinks. So we'll see from verse number four that Jesus is also the source of fruit. It says, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. It doesn't say there without me you can do a little bit, or without me you can only go so far. It says there without me you can do nothing. Your best efforts done outside of Christ are worth nothing. But there's good news on the back of that. If you are in the vine, if you are in Christ, you will bear fruit. Just as those who are not in the vine cannot bear fruit, those who are in the vine cannot help but bear fruit. I really enjoyed Matt's message a few weeks ago where he challenged us to stop trying to be Christians and just let Christ work through us. And that's what fruit is. It's something done in Christ's name and by his strength. Verse 4 says, As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, the fruit comes from the life that is given through the vine. In the same way, uh, his, his strength, the nutrients, the power that comes through him out to the branches is where the fruit comes from. Fruit in our lives doesn't need to be some grand thing either. You don't need to go down the Amazon preaching the gospel. In Mark chapter 9, Jesus says that even giving a brother or sister a cup of water in his name is fruit. Christ will use what we have where we are. And sometimes it might be small, sometimes it might be large. But it'll all be by his strength and for his glory. We need to recognise that all fruit comes from Jesus, the true vine. When I notice this, Jesus is also the source of love. If you look at verse number nine, it says, as the Father loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Think about that for a second. As the Father loves Jesus, so Jesus loves you. The question is, well, how much does the Father love Jesus? He loves him 100%, right? He loves him with everything he has. So how much does the Son love you? 100% with everything he has. I don't know about you, but sometimes I think I insult Jesus with how little I think he loves me. Sometimes I just don't believe he loves me as much as the Father loves the Son. I think it's because we have this human view of love sometimes. We often have a very transactional view of love. You know, I think that you love me about the same as I love you. If I give out a little bit of love, I expect something similar in return. It's transactional. And so sometimes when we hear about a couple breaking up, we, we hear that they fell out of love. And that's that transactional love, right? It gets smaller and smaller until there's nothing left. That's not how Jesus loves us. He loves us with the same amount, the same intensity as the Father loves the Son, 100%, with everything he has. It doesn't matter how much love we feel towards him, how worthy we are of that love. It's unconditional love. Romans 5 tells us, but God demonstrated his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When we were his enemies, 
when we didn't want anything to do with him, he died for us. That's how he displayed his 100% love for us. So I want to encourage you this morning, no matter how little love you've had in your life, no matter how good or otherwise you are getting, giving out love, don't let that impact on the knowledge of how much God loves you, how much Jesus loves you. So lastly this morning, we want to look at the branches. We want to look at ourselves. There's two things that we want to uh, look at together this morning. The branch must be connected. As we've already seen, if we're not connected to the vine, we miss out on so much. The vine brings life, love, purpose, hope, and ultimately fruit in this life and the life to come. Without being connected to the vine, we just can't bear fruit. If you're not in the vine, if you're not in Christ, the future is tragic. It says there in verse 6 again, if anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. They gather them and, gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. We don't want that for you. Eternal judgment, being separated from God, separated from the vine, from love and truth, it's a horrible thing to think about. So I urge you this morning, make sure you're connected to the vine. Make sure your faith and trust is in the true vine, in Christ alone. Make sure that you can confidently say that you are in Christ and he is in you. He is your vine and you are his branch. Then we should bear fruit. We should be fruitful. You know, gardeners are always looking for ways to get bigger tomatoes or better looking apples. And Jesus tells us how we can bear more fruit in our lives. And the formula is actually very simple. There's only one verb, one doing word in this passage. And it's repeated a number of times. Did you pick up what it was? The word abide. The second part of verse 5 says, Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. So what does it mean to abide in Christ? Well, it makes sense, I suppose, if all the fruit comes from the vine, then the more we're tapped into that vine, the stronger the connection, the more fruit can grow. It's a simple fact, but it's so easily forgotten. We often busy ourselves so much with running here and doing this and doing that, often with good motives. But we fall back into that trap of the first vineyard. We base it on our abilities or our efforts rather than on Christ. So what does it mean to abide in Christ? Think about how a friendship develops. You know, if you meet someone and you get to talk to them, you learn about them. You learn about their background and how they view the world. You might start to do activities together. Now, certainly us men like to build friendships in that way. You can chat and talk to your friend. And at the beginning, those conversations can be a bit awkward. But in time, they become easier and easier until it's very natural to be with your friend. Even the silences are comfortable. No matter what you do together, it's enjoyable and fun. You can ask your friend anything. You just really enjoy being together. Well, that's what it is to abide. Jesus calls us into a relationship with him. Think about that. The King of Kings wants to abide like that with us. As we learn more about him, we start to view the world more through his eyes. And our prayers, our conversations become more natural, more real. In Philippians, Paul encourages the church to pray without ceasing. We think, how is that possible? How can we pray without ceasing? We have other stuff to do, right? We've got work, study, commitments. 
But when we understand this idea of abiding in Christ, we realise that it's not one or the other. It's not pray or work or pray or take care of other commitments, it's both. To abide is to do all these things with Christ as we would a friend. It means we leave those lines of communication open even when we're busy or when there's nothing to say. Abiding and praying without ceasing is the same thing. It's just doing everything with your best friend. And here's the thing, Proverbs tells us that he's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. In Hebrews it tells us he will never leave us nor forsake us. Where our earthly friends often let us down, turn our back on us, Jesus won't do that. He won't let you down. Plus he has real power. Look at verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. You know, when we abide with Christ, when we get to know him, we stop praying for the Ferrari that we want and we start praying for, the, for our neighbour down the street who doesn't know him as saviour. We start to pray in line with his purposes and his plans and he will answer those prayers. You know, it's a wonderful life to abide with Christ. I love talking to older people who've walked with Jesus for 40, 50, 60 years. We have some in our church. I encourage you to talk to them. You know, it brings a life of contentment, of obedience, of fruit and ultimately joy. Look at verse 11. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. We were designed, we were built to abide in Christ, to have joy in this life and hope for the life that is to come. Verse 8 also tells us that we are built to glorify God. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. And so as a final thought this morning, as we close, I just want to take back a step back and look at this beautiful plant that God is building. You know, the vine of Christ grew from Israel 2,000 years ago, went from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the uttermost parts of the world, even to a country called New Zealand. And it came to Hamilton. The vine of Christ even comes to this very building today. And as you look around at each other this morning, these are all the little branches of that vine. And God's desire for us here at HBC is that the building is not just filled with branches, but that each of those branches is bursting with fruit. What would that look like? What impact could we have for our city? Well, it's more than possible through this deep connection, through the abiding in the vine. So our challenge this morning is to strengthen our connection to the vine so that we might bear fruit for his glory. So let's concentrate on that in our own walk and let's encourage all the little branches around us to do the same. Let's pray together. Lord, we pray that you would help us with those two things this morning. Help us, Lord, to strengthen our connection to the vine, to you, Lord. Help us to encourage each other, Lord, in our walk with you. Uh, Lord, we pray that we would not be busy doing things, but we would be busy concentrating on that connection to you and allowing you to work through us. Lord, we pray for our city and our country, those who don't know you as saviour. Lord, may you lead them to yourself. Use us, Lord, for your glory, we pray. We thank you for this time together this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen.